evening. And my welcome to you and invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to John chapter 9. I don't know if you've paid attention or, or heard this line. I, I, I notice, I feel like I hear it with more and more frequency these days, people talking about how our country is more divided than it's ever been before, uh, more polarized, and that polarization seems to just be growing and, and growing. And there are lots of opinions out there as to why that is, and probably just as many opinions about how to solve it. And one of the most popular ideas out there right now is that religion is actually one of the greatest causes of division and polarization. It kind of makes sense, right? If you give a group of people information and you tell them that they have the truth and everyone else in the world is wrong, wouldn't that make those people arrogant? Wouldn't that make them proud and condescending toward others? Uh, Doesn't that just breed hostility and division in the world? Anybody who takes their beliefs too seriously, they think they're right and everybody else is wrong, won't that just lead to, to more problems? So the solution that goes along with that explanation of why the world is increasingly polarized and and divided. The solution that goes along with that comes from what we might call secular pluralism or cultural relativism, which says that if we all just admit we don't know anything, we don't have the truth, then we'd all get along and the problem would be solved, right? The world would be a much more peaceful place, be an agreeable place if we all just admitted we don't know. So there's, there's a popular parable that is often told to go along with that and illustrate this idea. Maybe maybe you've heard it about a group of blind men who came upon an elephant, and all the blind men began to feel this massive creature, but each blind man was located at a different spot on the elephant. So one guy's feeling the tail, and one is feeling the tusks, and one is feeling the the legs, and uh, one has the trunk, and they're all defining, describing something incredibly different. Think about the guy describing the ears, what he feels, compared to the guy who's feeling the leg. And the guy who feels the tusk says it's, it's smooth, and the guy who has the tail says, no, it's not. And every blind man, is, they, they begin to argue with each other, and they have this sharp disagreement. And so secular pluralism says, see, that's like all the world religions. They're all blind. They all have part of the truth. Each one is actually technically kind of right, but nobody has the whole truth. Nobody sees the full picture. And so rather than arguing with each other about who has the truth, who's right and who's wrong, if they all just realized they only have a sliver of the truth and they started listening to everybody else's subjective experience, then they, then they would understand the whole, right? And, and that gains some traction because the idea of spiritual blindness resonates with the human experience. I mean, I I certainly don't know everything. Who am I to say that I'm right and other people are wrong? You even hear professing Christians kind of say this, where they might profess to believe what we would call orthodox Christianity, but then they follow that up with, but I, I could be wrong. I mean, who am I to say that somebody else who believes something different isn't also right? So, The Blind Man and the Elephant is a a pretty powerful story. I remember the first time somebody told that to me, I was in high school uh, working as a lifeguard at the YMCA. I don't think they even have a pool there anymore, do they, downtown? And a coworker of mine, he he told me that story. And I remember feeling stumped in the moment, like, what would I I say to that? I didn't have an answer for him at the time. I, I see now that what 
pluralism, secular pluralism, holds out as, as a cure is actually a curse. When secular pluralism says, see, everybody's blind, it's not giving anyone sight. It's just saying, you're blind, end of story. What pluralism fails to do, Jesus Christ alone accomplishes because Jesus is vastly superior to secular pluralism. Rather than informing you that you are blind and then leaving you there in your blindness, Jesus came to give sight to those who are spiritually blind. Jesus gives light and illumination to those who are living in darkness. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 9 to discover how you and everyone around you can be cured of spiritual blindness, which is a real condition that everyone in the human race shares. So this is God's holy and authoritative word. I preached from John 9, 1 through 7 last week. I'm going to read that again so we get the whole story. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. Follow along. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought... They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. 
So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Father, we take comfort in knowing that it is your good pleasure. It is your kind intention. It's your gracious purpose to give sight to the blind. And so we are asking in the name of Jesus, who opens the eyes of the blind, that you would give us light and illumination and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Thank you that you have caused your light to shine in the world. We receive your word as true and clear and authoritative. We receive it with faith and believe it. We trust in Jesus, the one to whom your word points. And we pray that as we trust in Jesus, your light would shine into our hearts and free us from darkness and free us from sin, that we might know you and walk in your ways. And oh God, cause the light of Jesus to shine in the city of Sioux Falls through the preaching of the gospel and the witness of your church. For Jesus' sake, amen. So John 9 records this historical event. This actually happened in history that Jesus literally opened the eyes of a blind man. And alongside that narrative, something even deeper is happening. Alongside the healing of the man born blind is this dramatic story of spiritual blindness and the recovery of spiritual sight. The healing of the blind man is a sign. And if you recall, in John's gospel, rather than using the word miracle, John's choice word is sign. A sign signifies something. A sign indicates something. Like we would talk about signs that spring has arrived. 
Signs point to something else going on. And so when Jesus does these things that we would call a miracle, John says it's a sign that something else is happening in the world. And so when we read this story, John wants us to be asking, what does it mean? What is it pointing to? What does it indicate? What reality does it signal to us? In John 9, 5, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then the very next words, John says, having said these things, and then he tells us, he opened the man's eyes. I am the light of the world, and having said that, he goes on to open the blind man's eyes. This tells us that the, the blind man's recovery of sight is a sign that light from heaven, illumination, revelation, the glory of God has come to earth, that something deeper is happening, that Jesus was sent by the Father to do the works that the Father gave him to do, namely to cure spiritual blindness, to give recovery of spiritual sight, to give spiritual light to those living in darkness. We heard this morning already from Psalm 146 and Isaiah 42 that uh, Logan prayed from. The giving of sight to the blind was a distinctly messianic thing. That was the prophecy in Isaiah 42, that the Messiah would open the eyes of the blind, which means all of these Jews watching this who knew the Old Testament, they knew the promises, they knew the prophecies about the Messiah, they should have seen this and gone, we know what this means. The Messiah is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. Even as the blind man says, no, never since the foundation of the world has anybody ever heard of a blind man recovering his sight. This means something. And if they were paying attention, they would have known what it meant, but they weren't. Jesus was sent by the Father to cure spiritual blindness and give spiritual light. He says in verse 39 towards the end of this chapter, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. That's the deeper thing that's happening in and around the story of the blind man receiving his sight. So before we continue, I just want to briefly define what is spiritual blindness exactly? What are the, the symptoms of spiritual blindness? So you can recognize this in yourself or in others. It's much more serious than mere ignorance. You know, it's easy to associate blindness, okay, you can't see, so that might mean ignorance, you don't know, that, that's part of it, but it's, it's actually deeper than that. I think John chapter 8 gives us a bunch of clues. It's slavery to sin. Jesus said whoever sins is a slave to sin, back in John chapter 8 verse 34. Uh, spiritual blindness leads to relational hostility and strife and conflict. Jesus said in, in John 8, you are of your father the devil and he is a murderer and you do your father's desires, it, spiritual blindness leads to relational conflict and hostility. It, it involves ignorance, but not just ignorance, it's deception. It's believing lies, Jesus says in John 8, that the, the devil is a liar. He's been lying from the beginning. When he lies, he's speaking his native language. But most seriously of all, spiritual blindness, to be spiritually blind is to be out of fellowship with God. Jesus said in John 8, 19, you know neither me nor the Father. So spiritual blindness means being out of fellowship with God. It means being not only in hostility toward God, but experiencing that relationally with others. 
And you might recognize those symptoms even if you've been born again and your eyes have been opened to see the light. We experience times in our lives where we are not walking in the light but walking in darkness. And so when you see those things in yourself and in your relationships and you, you know that you're out of fellowship with God because of sin, you, you know that that's darkness and Jesus came to give light, to do something about that. Walking in the light Freedom from sin, abounding in love for God and love for neighbor, knowing the truth about God, enjoying fellowship with God. That's what it means to be in Christ and enjoy the light of Christ. And so my aim this morning is to show you how Jesus cures spiritual blindness so that you can know that for yourself. It's possible that some of you sitting here are still spiritually blind. And Jesus wants to give you light so that you can see the glory of God and know him and enjoy fellowship with God and community with others. It's possible that you see the light and God wants to use you to bring others who are living in darkness to see the light of Christ. And so here's the entire sermon in a sentence. Seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. Seeing is not necessarily believing, but believing is seeing. In other words, physical sight, physically seeing a miracle, physically seeing things about Jesus, agreeing with certain facts about Jesus, does not necessarily produce saving faith. It's a theme we've seen in John already. But trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus, hoping in Jesus, that is what gives Light and sight and illumination. You know that phrase, seeing is believing. When we say that, we mean something like something you consider to be impossible or, or implausible. If you saw it with your own eyes, how could you argue against it? I mean, seeing would make a believer out of anybody, right? I've mentioned this before that um, atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell, uh, it's reported that when he was asked, what if you die and it turns out there is a God, and you, you were wrong in your atheism, and you stand before God, what would you say to him? It's reported that his answer was, I would say to him, Sir, why did you go to such great lengths to hide yourself? And that resonates with a lot of atheists and skeptics. Like, I would believe in God if he just gave me something to see. Seeing is believing. If I could see a miracle, if I could see proof, I would believe. So the idea is the world is full of basically good people who are eager to know God and trust God and love God and worship God and obey God and walk in his ways. If they just had a little bit more evidence, they could see. And Is that how it actually is? Well, according to John chapter 9, the answer is a resounding no, that's not how it is at all. The light of the world came from heaven in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and the light exposed how willfully rebellious spiritual blindness actually is. Look at verse 41. If you were blind, you would have no guilt, Jesus says. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You think you see, but you don't. Spiritual blindness is a culpable, morally responsible rejection of the light. Just look at the, the neighbors and the acquaintances, the people who knew this guy who had been cured of his blindness. They all witnessed the same miracle. So did they all believe? Did they all understand what the sign meant? 
No, it caused division. They started to argue, and it's interesting how their argument went. Some were saying, that's the same guy, and others were saying, no way, no way. He just looks a lot like the guy we used to know who was blind. We don't know where he went, but he's, he's just, you know, a dead ringer for him. They come up with this alternate explanation because it's easier to believe that this guy who can see is just a doppelganger for the old blind guy than to believe that he actually had his sight cured. Seeing a miracle does not automatically produce Faith, and that's because all of us, we filter what we see and what we hear and what we experience through a set of presuppositions about what's real and about what's actually possible. It's called a worldview. Your worldview determines what you're willing to actually believe. And whatever you see and experience, you're going to filter through that. There are no uninterpreted facts. Everybody is interpreting all that they see all the time. Maybe you've heard the joke about the, the guy who was convinced that he was Dead, absolutely convinced he was dead. And his family and his friends were so concerned about this guy who would believe that. Finally, they took him to a medical doctor and they said, please, can you help us convince him he's not dead? So the doctor thought about it for a while, pulled out some textbooks, had him read a few things. And he showed him medically, dead people don't bleed. Their hearts aren't pumping. Blood's not coursing through their veins. Blood begins to pool. So dead people don't bleed. So he asked the guy, you understand? Dead people don't bleed? Yeah, yeah, totally understand. I get it. I believe it. I agree. So the doctor pulled out a pin, pricked his finger, and blood started to come out. And the guy looked down. And he said, oh, my gosh, dead people do bleed. So he interprets that evidence through his deepest conviction. I am dead. And whatever else he experiences has to be filtered through that. So what happens when people see a miracle? Some people would rather believe he's just a lookalike. There's no way that this actually happened. Or look at the parents of the man who was born blind. They knew the facts. This is our son. He was born blind. Now he sees. But knowing and agreeing with the facts of some miracle, some sign, does not cure spiritual blindness. You can know true things and not be cured of spiritual blindness. Knowing the facts is not the same as spiritual sight. In their case, what was the problem? They were too afraid of what it would cost them to follow the sign where it was pointing. It's indicating this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. He is God's sent one. But they were afraid as John tells us in verse 22, they feared the Jews. The Jews had already said, if anyone confesses Jesus is the Christ, he will be kicked out of the synagogue. And they were afraid, and so they punt on the question. When they're interrogated, they just say, ask him. We just, we're not going to answer that. We plead the fifth. Is that you? It's, it's possible you know God exists you know his word is true. You know what Jesus did for you on the cross. And it's not a matter of believing whether or not all of that is true. The deeper question for you is what it would cost you to trust him. I talked to somebody maybe a year and a half ago. One of those tragic conversations, he, he said to me, I know all of that's true. I believe the Bible's true. I just know that following Jesus would cost me, for this guy it was um, marijuana, and fornication. He said, I just can't give that up. That's incredible. He knew 
what it would cost him to follow Jesus. And he didn't want to give that up. For others, it might be like the parents here, fear of man, willing to profess faith in Jesus. But when there's some social cost, when there's some cost to your, your standing or respect in the sight of others, then it's easier to not profess Christ. It's a sober warning to us. Just professing the doctrinal truth is not the same as saving faith in Jesus. Or consider the Pharisees. They were skeptical like the neighbors. They came up with an alternate explanation. Their explanation was, this guy just wasn't blind. This guy was never blind. That's what's going on here. So they call in the parents and they confirm, no, he, he, this is our son. He was blind. They take offense over the miracle. They know the Old Testament. They know the prophecies about the Messiah. And yet they're offended about how Jesus opened his eyes. Look at verses 14 and 15. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. John has brought this to our attention before. You, you get the sense, I mean, seven days in a week, Jesus could have healed his eyes on any other day. You, you start to get the sense, Jesus was intentional about this. He's waiting for the Sabbath to perform miracles, to expose the blindness of the religious people. So, since it happened on a Sabbath, when Jesus made mud, therefore, because it happened on a Sabbath, the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. They want to know, how did this happen? Not that they actually care about what happened or what it means, not because they actually want to believe at all. They're so preoccupied with how it happened. In fact, John records three separate times when they ask that question, how did he do it? T tell us again, how did he do it? I just want to make sure we're clear on this. How did he do it? Not because they have any, any interest in believing that they can't see the light of God shining right in front of them because they're so offended that Jesus would make mud on the Sabbath and it was part of their man-made human traditions that kneading, kneading dough, mixing mud, those would be things you cannot do on the Sabbath. And so they reject the light of God shining right in front of them. And they show us that part of spiritual blindness, there is a willful, closed-mindedness about it. There's a bias, a presupposition that goes with spiritual blindness. Look at verse 24. They say to the blind man, give glory to God, which is a way of saying, tell us the truth. Or in this case, what we see, tell us what we want to hear. Just confirm our interpretation of the events. We know that this man is a sinner. There it is. They've already made up their minds. This guy is not from God. He is a sinner. Now if we can just arrange the facts to confirm what we are convinced is true, that'd be perfect. I mean, of course, any rational person would, would want a, a scientifically verified investigation of claims of signs and wonders, right? Independent, neutral, unbiased, third-party investigation that is done by investigators who are completely committed to coming to the conclusions that those who hired them sent them to find. That's how human intelligence works in rebellion from God. So the third time they ask how Jesus opened his eyes, he says, wait a minute, I've told you already, verse 27, and yet you would not listen. That is, you're unwilling to hear you don't want to hear. They would not listen. 
That is, those who don't see can't see. But the reason they can't see is because they won't see. Those who don't see can't see, but they can't see because they won't see. They don't want to. They don't want to see where it's pointing. They've made up their mind already. They're biased. So how would an unbelieving world respond if the light of the glory of God appeared in flesh and blood that you could touch with your own hands and hear with your own ears? And, and what if the light of God appeared in the world and performed signs and wonders and miracles that you could see? Would the world believe? We don't have to speculate. John 9 tells us the light shines in the world and the spiritually blind question and doubt and explain away and excuse and accuse and ignore and ultimately kill the light. That's what spiritual darkness does. And Jesus says he came into the world. Part of the reason he came, half of the reason is to expose that for what it is. Look at verse 39 again. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who see may become blind. That is, those who think they see, those who think they know, those whose knowledge of God is built on their own independent thinking apart from God, that they may be exposed as blind. They don't actually know God. They're in darkness. And Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world. That is, to expose that this is the condition of those in darkness, that they might experience the full darkness of their own sin against God. That's one thing that happens when the light shines. But, but there's another thing that happens. And that is that some who were blind see. That's the redemptive purpose of God in this text. Seeing Physically is not necessarily believing, but believing is seeing. Faith is true sight. You can see with physical eyes a miracle right in front of you and not necessarily understand or believe what it means about Jesus. But when you trust Jesus, when you put your hope and confidence in Jesus, you will experience supernatural illumination. He will bring light to your darkened mind. He will bring freedom from sin. He will restore you to fellowship with the Father. He will begin to pour into your heart love for your neighbor that will overflow his own love for you in you overflowing for others so that you're no longer living in relational conflict and hostility with others. He gives spiritual sight and he gives it to those who believe. Believing is seeing. The man born blind is an incredible reminder to us that seeing is not necessarily believing because he's the one who actually experienced the miracle and literally saw with brand new eyes and yet look at the, the development of his understanding of who Jesus is. This is the real miracle that's going on in the text. In verse 11, when his neighbors and acquaintances ask, how did this happen? What happened to you again? He says, the man they call Jesus. Kind of this I don't really know this guy. I've just heard rumors of him. The man called Jesus. And then in verse 17, he refers to him as a prophet. When, when the Jews ask, what do you think about him? Since he opened your eyes, he says, he's a prophet. So, so he's growing in his understanding of who Jesus is. In verse 33, he's a little bit more confident. This man is from God. I mean, certainly a sinner could not do this. He must be from God. But look at verse 35. Jesus heard that the Jews had cast him out of the synagogue. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
He's already received physical sight, but there's a question left. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. What precious words those are. You've seen him. You've seen him with the new physical eyes he gave you. Now believe in him. Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. Even though he had already received physical sight, Jesus finds him and asks him, do you believe? Miraculously experiencing a miracle is not the same thing as receiving supernatural, God-given recovery of spiritual sight. So how do you experience that? How do those you know who are in darkness experience that? I think this text points us to two familiar things to us, not surprising. It's what all the whole testimony of Scripture is. First, by admitting that you are blind and then by trusting Jesus. By admitting that you're blind and then by trusting, believing in Jesus. John 9, 40 and 41, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? They're offended by the idea of their own spiritual blindness. If that offends you, You can't see. You won't see because you think you already see. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Those who say we can see just fine on our own, without Jesus, without God's sent light of the world, those are self-reliant, self-righteous, self-assured individuals who don't even know their own blindness They don't submit to God, and so their guilt remains. That's the essence of their guilt. They don't rely on God. So the first step is admit that you don't see. And then you must believe in Jesus, just like this man did. I think John tells us this story and highlights his response to hold him up as an example. This is what John is getting at in this whole book. Believe, believe, believe. And the repetition of it, on the one hand, could make us think, haven't we heard this sermon already? (laughs) Haven't we heard this point from John already? But when Scripture is so insistent on repeating something over and over and over, my response to that is, I must need to hear it again and again. It's a reminder to me of the present tense need to believe. I don't hear it and go, I know I heard that in the past and I believed in the past. I hear it and receive it today and say, okay, today I must trust in Jesus to see. It's a moment by moment, hour by hour, trusting in Jesus. That's how I walk in the light. I must believe And saying you have to admit your blindness and believe is not saying that you cure yourself of your blindness. This is like when Jesus puts mud on his eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Go wash. He doesn't come back saying, I recovered my own sight. His testimony throughout is, he opened my eyes. I washed. He opened my eyes. I see. Jesus does the active opening of eyes. The blind do this passive receiving of sight. And everyone who receives sight as a gift from Jesus then actively sees. That's what you do. You use the sight that God gives to see. Physical sight happens when the light of the sun reflects off of surfaces and we see that. Spiritual sight happens when the glory of God shines and God gives us the soul sense to perceive that glory in the person and work of Jesus. 
And so you can be sure when you trust in Jesus, your testimony will be the same as this man, is the same as this man. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. That's the testimony of everyone who believes, who receives this sight. So remember the blind man and the elephant? The problem with that parable, think about it this way. When, when secular pluralism says to all the religions of the world, you're all blind, you all see part of the truth, you all just need to admit you don't actually see the whole picture, who can tell all the religions in the world that they all have only a part of the truth? Who can walk up to a group of blind men and say to you, say to them, you're all blind, it's an elephant, you're all kind of right. Who's that person talking? Not a blind person, right? That's the, the sleight of hand, the, the trick of pluralism. It seems so humble to say, can't we all get along? Nobody really knows the truth. But really what it's doing is setting itself up over all the other religious claims in the world saying, we see the truth and the truth is nobody knows the truth. We see that everybody's blind. And how can pluralism do that? It, it can't at all. But Jesus, Jesus, he is the one who can give sight to the blind. He doesn't come pretending, well, I don't really know anything. He comes humbly speaking the truth. The Father sent me. I know what I'm talking about. I come from the Father. That's not an arrogant claim if it's true. If it's true, it's not arrogant it's humble and true. I am the light of the world. I came to give sight to the blind. Trust me. That's why Jesus alone can cure spiritual blindness. He comes from the Father. He knows what he's talking about. He speaks with authority. And in him we see light. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of of the world. Now, at first, I think those are puzzling words. Like, is Jesus saying he's only the temporary light of the world? As long as I'm in the world, during my life, the incarnation, then I'm the light of the world, and then I won't be the light of the world? That's not what he's saying. What, what he's doing, the emphasis is on the unique way that his life manifests the glory of God, which is why we say the light is found in the person and the work of Jesus. The works that he did, the words that he spoke, uniquely revealed the glory of God to the world. And so how do we see the light of God today? We look to the revelation of the person and work of Jesus. Everything he said, all of his works, all of his words recorded for us in the pages of Scripture that we might know him because he is the light of the world and he manifested that light in his life and supremely in his death. So we turn to him. That's why we turn back to his word daily as believers. We don't see light anywhere else. I heard recently about a, I, I think a, a highly dangerous false teacher who, who teaches this idea he calls the universal Christ. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, that guy who lived, he embodied the Christ spirit better than anyone but the Christ spirit is actually this thing that's in everything and it's in you already and it's in the trees and it's, in ev it's, it's everywhere. The Christ spirit is this thing out there and you just got to grab it and take advantage of your full potential. And Jesus, the man, did a good job of that. Not at all. 
Jesus the man, in his life, in his works, in his words, he revealed the glory of God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We wouldn't know the Father if it wasn't for the incarnation of the Son of God. How did he make him known? John 17, 4, Jesus prays, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. He did it. He did it all. The work is finished. And so Jesus is still the light of the world. And the way you see that light is by turning to him, trusting in him, admitting your own blindness and depending on him for illumination, trusting Jesus. Believing is seeing, and you can be sure he will give sight to all who trust in him. That's why he came into the world.